doing our Q3 uh, recap of the last three months. I hope these things are fun for everybody. I don't know. I The download numbers are never as high as regular episodes, but the people who like them seem to really like them, and so we continue to do them. I do worry sometimes that doing them every two months, like we did last year, felt like too much, and this feels like too much happens in between, and I forget some good things. So I hope, I hope uh, we're able to kind of get our notes together and... Uh, give some good feedback on all the episodes we've had this month. Let me kick it off. I want to explain something real quick. That opening song was a song called Beautiful Earth, and it's by uh, Steve Eddie Rice. Some of you may remember Steve's been, well, Eddie, however you want to call it. I think he, I, can, I don't know what he goes by these days. He's been on the show twice. He was the lead singer of Eddie and the Tide, and he came on to as, you know, like a regular Tuesday episode a few years ago. And then he came back on about a year ago and did a tribute to Eddie Money with us. Well, he just put out another solo album. It's called Love Songs from Another Dimension. And it all sounds a lot like what you just heard. This beautiful earth 
very uplifting, soulful, almost spiritual. It's interesting because he's not a religious person at all, but his songs have a real spirit to them. You know, talking about prayer and uh, finding truth and finding reason and finding a purpose and doing better and improving yourself. It's really uplifting stuff. Anyway, I say all that because we have a spare copy of the CD that we're going to give away to whoever wants it. We'll do a drawing mm, probably in two weeks. And uh, I'll let everyone know via the socials and all that kind of stuff. And just as a reminder, any swag we get is up for grabs for anyone who is a tier one Patreon member. That is two bucks a month. You set it and forget it. And then um, that puts you in the running to win anything we get. So if you want to win a copy of Steve Eddie Rice's new album, Love Songs from Another Dimension, that features this song, that's what you got to do. And then we'll do the giveaway in a week or two. All right. Anyway, how you doing, Yan? What's new? Uh, doing great. Uh, I'm not going to say too much other than I've been doing a lot of handyman stuff lately. Yeah. I mean, a lot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's good. It's good. been good fun. You know, I was trying to think. We we keep a Google Google Doc of all the stuff we want to talk about on these, and um, I couldn't think of anything. I mean, aside from the state of the world and the state of our country and everything that's happening that everyone already knows about, I was trying to think of something really big or life changing that's happened in the last three months for either of us, and I couldn't really think of anything for me. What about you? Nothing really for me. I'm just. I mean, I'm just working from home all the time at the moment. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm keep, keeping pretty busy. Yeah. How are you adjusting to working from home? Do you like it? I actually prefer being in the office. Yeah, me too. But, you know, I, I don't have to, you know, working from home, I can just roll out of bed. And yeah. So I use the time between rolling out of bed and walking down stairs <laughs> to the dining room in the morning just to you know, to do a bit of reading and uh, I know what you mean. I, um, yeah, I, 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 so I've been at my job now for five months and I've never been in the office and I've never met any of my coworkers face to face, but I love my job. It's so great. I'm so happy these days and consider myself really lucky and blessed that everything worked out compared to how terrible the first half of this year was for me and my family and life in general and everything. So things have turned out great. But yeah, I'm like you. I work from our laundry room because Farah's upstairs working in the office. The three kids are all doing remote learning from school and various parts of our house, wherever they can get a little bit of privacy. And then I work in the laundry room because it's the only quiet spot in the house. And um, I always have to put interesting Zoom backgrounds on when I get on my Zoom calls because I don't want anyone to see the like dingy, dirty washer and dryer and everything that's actually behind me in real life. So anyway, <laughs> but I feel like we live in a zoom world these days. It's uh, anyway, I feel like I, I was, I think I was going to cut you off. What were you going to say? So how, how are things doing where you are? Cause everything is just sort of going back up ridiculous here. Really? I mean, yeah. The, the last couple of days there's been over 700 cases a day. New. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, I actually know about about ten or twelve people that have it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I um, I've, I'm lucky. Other than Matthew Seligman, who you know has been on the show and we became a little friendly with, who passed away, it hasn't. 
My brother-in-law and sister-in-law both had it, but it wasn't life-threatening for either of them. And other than that, I don't know anyone who's had it. And thankfully, Denver is a pretty, uh, it's more liberal, I guess, than conservative. So there's a lot, you know, everyone's in a mask. Everyone is uh, abiding by the rules. Things are great. I, in fact, I uh, I recently, I think I was telling you this, Yan, I recently joined a gym called F45. People in the States may know what that is. For a while, sometimes you, when you go in and you do the workouts, you have to wear a mask. Sometimes you don't, just depending on how things are going. But um, yeah, we're, I think we're okay. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not awesome anywhere, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's not affecting me too personally, too up close. And of course, our president has it. And uh, I'll, uh, anyone who is personally friends with me on Facebook knows how I feel about this. I won't uh, bleed it over into the podcast, but I'll just say I'm totally fine with this. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. Anyway. Okay. I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, let's get some of the business stuff out of the way. First of all, Patreon. We're really grateful for all of you that have joined up. It's nothing big. We have a few, we have a handful of you that we are very appreciative of and you've donated to us and it's mostly to take care of basic costs for running the podcast and so that we can send out more swag to everybody. So thanks everyone who does that. Uh, just as a reminder, I already explained what the first tier is. The second tier is $5 a month and it gets you everything in the first tier. But then it also, I whenever I line up a new interview, I tell the five tier people who it is and you guys can submit questions if you want. I have noticed for any five uh, $5 tier two members out there, at first, a lot of people were submitting questions and now people don't do it very often. And maybe that's because they're over. I'm overwhelmed with how many interviews I've been doing lately. It's just the way things are working out. Anyway, please join. In fact, I just locked in two pretty big time interviews the other day. The Patreon people know who they are. And so um, I'm kind of excited about that. But anyway, so if you want to join us, come join us. And then also there's still the Amazon shop out there. I think well, I haven't looked at it for a while. We haven't, nobody's bought a t-shirt for a while, but those things are there. If you want to, if you want to contribute, um, it's, uh, you can buy a t-shirt and wear it proudly, hopefully. Other than that, I can't think of anything too major. Can you, Yen? I can't think of anything. Okay. Okay. So I threw, oh I'm yeah. Hoping, I'm hoping this crap goes away by next next Ugh. year because uh we're, i'm hoping to get backstage passes for belinda carlisle <laughs> oh my gosh that would be great that would be great have you you probably haven't seen it's i think it's worldwide but i don't know you probably don't have showtime there's been a really excellent new documentary on the go-go's that came out a month or two ago uh-huh. and um she still looks great. She doesn't look the same. She's had a lot of plastic surgery done, but she still looks very attractive. And uh, that documentary is fantastic. If you get a chance, you should check it out. All right, I'll have to do that. They, oh, they were they were great when they yeah were, they were their music oh, yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I um and it comes up in the in the documentary like why they aren't in the hall of fame and i agree with that i look i know there's people out there like our friend steve poshman who's like what the hall of fame doesn't mean anything and i i know that it doesn't i get it but it is still the most prominent symbol we probably have to celebrate musicians and their artistry and 
we know that the Hall of Fame is always struggling to put qualified women in there. There, there are more qualified women than they have in the Hall of Fame, is what I'm saying. And so if you're looking Hall of Fame, you can't figure it out what women belong in there. Start with the Go-Go's. Start with Susie Quattro. These are people who belong in the Hall of Fame. It's not that hard, you know? Anyway. By the way, I keep meaning to ask you, Yan. I am obsessed, for anyone who's uh, on lockdown and watching a lot of TV these days, too. I'm obsessed with this show on Netflix called Last Chance You. And it's about um, junior college football programs. And one of them takes place in Independence, Kansas. Do you know where that is? I should. Okay. I only lived there for nearly 15 years in <laughs> Kansas. <laughs> yeah, the the second season or the second set of, the second team they focus on is called Independence Community College, and it's in Independence, Kansas. And um, I've just been, every time I watch, I always think, I wonder if Yan knows where these where this place is. Anyway, just curious. I know where uh, Independence, Missouri is. Yeah, there. right, right. We all know that. Well, some of us, everyone in the tribe knows that, but every, but not everyone in uh, knows about Independence, Kansas. And uh, their coach is this white guy from Compton, and uh, it's crazy. It's a it's such a good show. I'm so sucked in. Okay, let's hurry and count down the last three months worth of episodes, and we'll get into some listener questions. We got some good ones um, that I want to make sure we include here at the end. Um, I think we left off with the UB40 deep dive of For the Many. And, um, I, first and foremost, I'm, I realize as the, as both UB40 episodes have come out that I think I'm a lot more excited than the, for them than some of our listeners are. I don't know if everyone out there loves them and thinks they're as special as I do, but, uh, I love them a lot. And yes, I, they have two or three albums that are like seminal albums in my life. Rat in the Kitchen, Jeffrey Morgan, Guns in the Ghetto. And then uh, there's another half dozen or so that I love. And I thought, Robin Campbell really liked me. I would think he would come back on and deep dive something with me. So I reach out to his people. He agrees. But he wants to talk about the new album, For the Many. And I like the new album a lot. But it's not an album that I grew up on and know, you know, like the back of my hand. So I was, it took a little bit of an adjustment, but that's what he wanted. And in the end, I was so glad we covered it because it is such a timely record for, for these times and what's happening in our world today. Are you a UB40 fan, Yan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. that, I mean, listening to that stuff as I was preparing it, that music is fantastic. That it's, new album it is, is, you know, if anybody hasn't heard it yet and as once they do is to me what, what I heard is well worth some of your money yeah I agree I um, I was really impressed uh, you know there's an anti-Trump song on there that I obviously love and uh, Robin and I were both kind of commiserating oh we're gonna get a lot of hate mail for this one thankfully we didn't get hardly any and so either um, well, I think that just says that anyone who's listening to us that may not agree was grown up enough and mature enough to know that it's just a conversation. It doesn't have to be offensive. But I love that song, and I think it's a very timely album. And I'm bummed because they had agreed to send me some CDs, and I uh, I never got them. And I even checked back in a couple of weeks afterwards and was like, oh, just so you know, you, you said you were going to send me some CDs, and they said we did. But I still never got them. And uh, 
I'm a little concerned that because of Corona or something, they got hung up in customs someplace, or maybe they just said they did, but they never actually did. So my apologies to any Patreon members out there. I was hoping to get some copies for myself, for you guys, for Yan, whatever, and they never arrived. And so I'm really sorry. And now I feel like it's been so long, I hate to go back and ask again. I'll say this. I've actually had, when I was living in, in Kansas, my folks actually sent me some stuff. They forgot to put the thing where it was registered and you had to sign for it on it. Ooh. And it never arrived. Really? And it was, yeah. it was a package and it never arrived. Never even, it never actually even made it to the mailroom. Ooh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we, um, you know, we did that giveaway a few months ago of Embrace, that that band Embrace from the UK that I love so much. Their people sent me a couple of vinyl albums and we had a couple winners, one of which was Lars, who I think lives in Sweden. And it cost like 30 something dollars to mail that album to him and get it all packaged and, you know, uh, protected and everything like that. But I don't think it arrived. I don't think Lars got it for like a month. And so um, I was, you know, petrified that we had gone through all this trouble to get it mailed and, pat, you know, padded properly and everything. And then he was never going to get it. So I was giving a long leash for this, these UB40 CDs to arrive, but they never did. And maybe they got stuck somewhere, like you were saying. What are your thoughts on the UB40 episode? I, I thought that was really good. Uh, I, I know I trimmed that politics talk mm-hmm. quite a lot to, to, to make it flow a bit better. Mm-hmm. And just not to make make it feel like a ang you know so like an angry mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. But I actually thought it turned the way the way I did it. I thought it turned out quite good. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, and um, yeah, I typically don't care whether a guest is anti or pro in any particular mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm just there to let them be them and let the conversation go where it does. That's exactly and, how I feel. Yeah. And if it goes a particular way, it, it goes a particular way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I try to abide by that, too. In case anyone, you know, with politics being such a, an inflamed topic these days, we've had we've heard from a couple of people who have asked us to cut out um, comments that guests have made that are anti-Trump. It's always an anti-Trumper that asks, by the way, just so everyone knows. But my feeling is. These are, I'm, I'm not the one getting political. It's our guest. And they're making, if someone were to come on and be like, man, Trump's the best, we would leave that in too. That's just part of the conversation. You know, it's not, we're not out to influence anybody, but the Mark Marins of the world don't cut that stuff out. Stephen Colbert, when he does a night, sh- uh, a tonight show or whatever, he doesn't cut that stuff out. So it's just part of the conversation of what is happening in our world today. So I'm Yan and I are kind of on the same page about this. We we just let the conversation be what it is, and if, as long as I'm not the one pushing them into pr- uh, political areas or corners to debate or argue, then I don't care what they say back to me. You know, pro or con. So anyway, okay. Uh, next up was Jay Graydon. <laughs> so let me give you let me give you some uh, a, a fun little nugget of trivia. First of all, I think I mentioned this before, he's nocturnal. So we scheduled, we did two, I did two interviews with him. Both of them were scheduled for one o'clock in the morning. And um, I'm a night owl too. I'm not nocturnal, but I'm a night owl. So it doesn't bother me to stay up till like three or four in the morning. So one o'clock is fine. I call him at one o'clock 
And if anyone has seen the Hired Gun documentary, you know how great this is. Both times, I called him at one. He answered his phone and said, John, I, uh, I'm taking a deuce. Can you call in a half hour? Both times. So, how long do you need to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I guess, half an hour. I guess so. And, and you can even hear like the echo of being in a bathroom. I know that he was sitting on the toilet, taking a dump, taking my call and saying, I'll, you know, give me a half hour. And he's told the story in, um, in the hired gun documentary about when he's trying to write the George Benson song and he's taking a dump and the whole song comes to him while he's on the toilet. And so, um, yeah, that's, I guess the toilet might be Jake Graydon's happy place, but that it was so <laughs> funny to me that that, that happened both times. Um, anyway. There is no one like Jay Graydon. That guy is amazing. He's an amazing player, and he's an amazing raconteur. I loved all the story. I love the story, and I can't remember if it was in his interview or the promo mode we did, where he was complaining. He and Ray Parker Jr. are on a session, and the lunch comes in, and it's fried chicken, and Jay puts all his heavy gloves on and everything so he doesn't get chicken grease any everywhere but ray's just eating the chicken like it's no big deal and then he goes back and plays his guitar and jay's like how can you do that but you realize too that what a like germaphobe jay is i mean when he goes to costco and he's got he was wearing masks before we all had to wear masks and he's got long gloves on and so he doesn't touch anything he's a trip but i love him there is no one like jay graden i loved it yeah that was, that was classic because i was reading your notes and i was sitting there saying to myself and I actually typed it in and says at least he didn't take the phone in with him while he went but oh whoops <laughs> sounds like he did he did <laughs> I don't think no, any he's... part of our conversation happened in the toilet but definitely he was on the john I, I shouldn't say that that's, that's my name he was on the toilet both times we had a scheduled interview can you imagine having to get a, a flush out of that oh. out of the conversation if he <laughs> oh, oh okay I know where you are <laughs> oh that's funny yeah that was a good one anyway the bonus episode was him talking about that uh app that he's it was way too technical for me i mean it's basically you can buy uh you can buy an app that gives you access to the sounds of a particular um keyboard that was very much in demand in the early 80s which is a, an amazing idea and if you are a keyboardist it's fantastic a lot of the technical stuff was over my head, but just hearing him talk about it was super fascinating. And like I said, these promo modes are normally like 20 minutes. Let's get in and get out, promote your thing, talk about it, and we'll go. But it's never like that with Jay. It's an hour of more stories just coming and coming and coming. He is the best. I love that. I actually thought that product looked pretty cool, too. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like stuff like that. I, I actually have the... Did I, did I buy it? I think I did. I think I bought the the, the app. It's the yes, Australian sir. one. Fairlight. Yeah, that's it. Fairlight. Yeah, yeah. I've got. I think I've got the app that does the Fairlight stuff, and I've. Ooh, it's, really? It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, did you? And what's interesting? We'll get more into this in a minute. But Andy Richards came on, and he had something similar. So I guess if you're a keyboardist, this is like big time for you. You know, having access to these sounds that keyboards made back then that are no longer being created and getting them just right. And hearing from Jay, the amount of hours of work that goes into making sure they sound just right. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Next up is Fee Way Bill uh-huh. in that deep dive. Yes. Yes. So, um, I mean, Fee's the best. He's one of the best raconteurs ever. And uh, I always love him when he's on someone else's podcast. I'm grateful that he's been on ours twice. His new album, Fee Way Bill Rides Again, is so good. I think I sent you, I think I, I had to download it. And I think uh, I sent you a copy of it or something. But anyway, it was fantastic. And Fee is just one of the best storytellers around. Uh, I, I really enjoyed him telling that, I mean, that music off of his new album is great and I'll be buying it. Yeah. Uh, so, and also the, his, his talk about the completion backward principle, that was, that was so good. Mm-hmm. I, you didn't need to send me that album. <laughs> right. Yeah, you've already had that one. I'm yep. so glad. Can you, I mean, just think, you know, so for anyone who doesn't know, so Yan, uh, you're living in Kansas. I'm in Denver. You passed through town for whatever reason. This is six or seven years ago. And um, while you're in town, the tubes are in town in concert. And I'm thinking, I've always wanted to see the tubes in concert. Maybe we would you be up for going? And we do. And it's kind of made a humongous impact on our lives. All these years later, we've seen them in concert one more time out there in Scotland. They're, they become one of our favorite bands. Fee's been on twice. All these things, these cool things have happened just from you and I deciding to go to a concert one night. Isn't that yep. wild? Oh, that was great. Yeah. That, that was two concerts and two nights in different states. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What was your other one? Imagine Dragons the next night. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Weaver State. Yeah. 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 I'm just, uh, you know, who knew that we, when we decided to go to that show, that, you know, it would have chemtrails that would last for years after that. I'm really grateful that Fee talks to us. That is probably one of the best shows I've seen. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I hope uh, everyone gets a chance to see. And I hope, you know, when we saw them in Scotland, they only came out and did five or six songs and it wasn't the full, it was still, it sounded great, but it wasn't the full experience. Well, nothing is because in the late 70s, that was the full experience when they were, you know, really commanding big crowds. So if anyone gets a chance to see them as a headliner, you have to, don't you think? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, if... If I'd have known they were playing the Liquid Rooms in Edinburgh the night before, we, uh, you know, oh. a couple of nights before you came, yeah, I, I would have, or no, it was the night before you came actually. I would have, we would have gone gone to that one as well. No wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because they're great. Probably would have done a meet and greet there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've seen them four times now. Twice where they were the headliners in the place you and i saw them the soiled dove underground here in denver then i went i saw them in scotland and then last year they played the lost 80s but they only played three songs same with everybody else so feed didn't even dress up they played she's a beauty and um um i think it was talk to you later and don't want to wait anymore i think that's what i they really like the story behind don't want to wait anymore that was really good yeah 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 it um, and it's so again, it's so interesting that David Foster is the guy who worked with them because he's so he's you know hugely famous now and sold almost a billion records, but it's almost all on the backs of like adult contemporary type music, Whitney Houston and Celine Dion and stuff like that. 
but he's got rock in his past and it's the tubes and yep. uh, so anyway it's uh those guys are great i um i hope everyone gets a chance to check them out but let's see okay i think next up was wadi Wachtel. i love that one a lot too you know those i thought those uh, immediate family episodes all turned out pretty well don't you yeah each one of them there's some threads that tie them together with some of the people they've all played with but they each had a, a really cool individual story that yeah. went in different directions that was great yeah yeah i agree and i probably uh unconsciously put them out probably in the order that i even like them it was i i, I apologize to, to steve postel i mean he's great too but his he's not as uh well known or as you know have has as deep a resume as the others so I really liked Cooch. I really liked Wadi. I liked Lee and Rust. We're just, those first two, especially Cooch and Wadi, I thought were really strong. Anyway, the Andrew Gold story in there was so fascinating to me because I've just always been curious about where in the world Andrew Gold went. And I had never considered how much money he must have made from having the theme song to the Golden Girls, which is still in syndication that's one of those shows that's on somewhere right now somewhere and he's making money every time and so and it i never thought about that but he must have just it gave him it afforded him the opportunity to indulge every whim he had eat all the time do all the drugs get fat get lazy become unhealthy and it ultimately killed him and I, I just had never thought of that, but that's the answer to that riddle. Where did Andrew Gold go? Now we know. It was worth it to me just having Wadi on to tell me that. I love that. Um, also, I heard from a couple of people. So, okay. So Wadi was uh, arrested for child porn. And um, it's on his Wikipedia page. Depending on who I'm talking to, I might go down that road. You know, it didn't feel like the right road with him, mostly because those guys all agreed to come on to promote their new thing. If I had reached out to them individually and and like gotten Wadi on, it wasn't tied to promotion. Maybe I would have asked those questions just to clarify, but it didn't feel right when, you know, we were trying to honor them. They were coming to us excited that we were promoting their thing and I didn't want to go dark. Um, also, I think back to a quote it may have been on Wikipedia. I don't remember where this was, but it was some, uh, I believe Stevie Nicks, who we all know doesn't have children of her own, but is a strong advocate for children, said, do you really think I would have somebody with that kind of a past playing with me all those years? And I think that's a really effective argument. No, I don't think Stevie Nicks would do that. And so I just felt like it wasn't worth bringing up. Do you have an opinion on it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, saw that on the wikipedia page and i was actually glad you didn't go down that path in the interview because for me that's probably been done to death on other interviews and I, at the time i didn't see what what angle we would bring by right. focusing on it so yeah. if it's been discussed so many other places yeah so but on the plus side werewolves is on my karaoke hit list now that's totally <laughs> in my range <laughs> You would kill that song, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always think I, I would want to be, you know, if I was 
good at playing a lot of instruments, I'd want to, this one would be one that would be cool to video yourself doing the individual parts and then melding it all together. Yes. That would be so cool. Yes. Yeah. He, I mean, he's done it all. He's done, he's played on so much stuff. And um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you like that one too. Yeah, it just didn't feel, plus I don't think he like served time or anything like that. I, I think he was, um, he played no contest. If it had been a bigger deal, I would have made sure to bring it up. But anyway, I didn't want to go there. I wasn't in the mood. I do pride myself on being journalistic on these, but it didn't feel like the right place or time to do that. Uh, okay, Graham Russell from Air Supply. So um, it's interesting. I had reached out to Air Supply well, I've reached out to them a couple of times over the years and never heard back. And the last time was probably a year ago. And all of a sudden, I get an email from them saying, hey, are you interested in talking with Air Supply now? Of course I am. And you said, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. And they said, but here's our, here's our request. We do a lot of these interviews and they never sound very good. So what what do you recommend for us to do so that they sound good? And I was like, well, I mean, you know, ours are kind of DIY too. I'm not promising that ours are the best sounding in the world either. And if you're not in a studio, I can't, I don't know what to tell you other than to just be in a quiet room, get a little microphone if you've got one, and uh, I'll be on a microphone. So that what should help. And then I was saying, you know, it depends too on like what you use to record. Skype is usually fine on both ends. It's not the greatest, but it works. And uh, they asked me who I wanted to talk to. Now, Russell Hitchcock, the lead singer, lives in Georgia. And Graham Russell lives in Utah. And of course, I'm from Utah. And so that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to talk to him because I was so curious. Why would a member of Air Supply live in Utah? Rural Utah, out in the boonies, by the way. They said, well, that's good, because Graham is more tech-savvy than Russell anyway. So I didn't have a ton of time. I was only supposed to have like a half hour, but he liked me, so we went like 45 minutes. And uh, he was a real sweetheart of a guy. And I got to ask him all about Utah, which may not matter to everyone else out there, but it mattered to me. And if anything, getting ready for that interview, they went from sort of a guilty pleasure. I think everyone, you know, seven or eight million people have Air Supply's greatest hits, and we all kind of love it in a guilty way. It went from that to me actually appreciating a lot of what they do. And um, their their harmonies sound fantastic. Not all of their stuff is ballad heavy. A lot of it rocks. Some of the newer stuff is even sort of techno. So there's a lot more to Air Supply than I thought. And uh, I was glad to have had the opportunity to kind of get ready for that interview and learn some of that. I have a whole new appreciation for those guys. What's your feeling on Air Supply? Oh, that, I mean, for just for the Utah bit, that area just around Beaver City, that's nice. I like yeah, it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mentioned to my folks that Air Supply were going to be on, and they both started singing stuff from the 70s, and they're like, you know them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was great. I was really glad to have uh, him on. Those guys are great. Okay. So let me talk about Jeff Healy. So there's a whole story here, and I'll try and tell it quickly. So probably three and a half years ago, two and a half years ago, I had the idea. What if you, I know Jeff Healy isn't here anymore, but what if you got one of the other guys, Steve and Tom, I think are their names, and see what their stories are. So I reach out to the band uh, on their website, and Roger, who came on the show, 
wrote me back and said, you know, just so you know, those two are in like a bitter legal battle with each other, with Jeff. It is ugly. Everyone's fighting for royalties, fighting for, you know, ownership, all this kind of stuff. A lot of those guys have kind of fallen on hard times. I don't think you're going to get either one of them to talk to you, but I'd be willing to talk to you. And at the time, I thought, well, I mean, that's nice of you, Roger, but I'd rather get it from one of the main guys if I could, you know. So I sort of left it at that. And I thought, well, I'll wait. So anyway, cut to about two years later. Uh, I check back in, thinking maybe they have resolved something legally and one of the actually Jeff, actual Jeff Healy band people would come on and talk to me. And Roger's like, no, in the same place. But my offer still stands. I'll come on if you want. And I think at that point, he even said Christy, the widow, would come on with me. And that got a little more exciting to me. First of all, I if the, other, if the band guys aren't ever going to come on, we're never going to get that story no matter what. And I do want to tell the Jeff Healy story. And if hearing from his best friend and his widow is the best way to tell that, then let's just do it. So we did that conversation. It went really well. Um, it, you may have noticed that uh, the actual band and the other members' names didn't come up hardly at all. That was kind of a negotiation that we had ahead of time. I was like, look, can I at least explain why they're not here and why I'm talking to you and just to catch everyone up. And they were like, we'd really rather you didn't. And um, so my thinking, I thought, well, I'll, we'll keep that episode pristine. That way the Jeff Healy estate feels comfortable sharing it with the fans and putting it on the website without any issues. But in our next recap, I will explain like the full story. And that's nothing against Christy and Roger. It's just, I was hoping to kind of get it from the mouth of a band member and I couldn't and I don't know that I ever will. And we hung on to that episode, I did anyway, for months because I kept thinking, where are we going to fit this in? It's the pro This is going to relate back to one of the questions from a listener. Um, you know, what's the, how long in between the time you do an interview and when it comes out? And sometimes it is just a an embarrassment of rich, riches. And uh, I've got tons of interviews in the can and it's going to be four or five months before they come out. And that was the story with this one. And I just wanted to hurry and get it out. So we made it a bonus. Anyway, that's the story. Are you a Jeff Healy fan? Did you know them? Or? I, I was I was familiar with his music and some of it I actually really quite like. Yeah. But this, this episode was actually particularly awesome. I loved the story Christy they told about the the kid his, his kid pulling the albums out in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that um, was amazing. What, Him recognizing even, the labels just from feeling. Yeah, what was even wilder to me was that he knew where the, knew where all the, all of them went in yeah. order. Yeah, just incredible. It is. I mean, yeah that that story is amazing. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether he was sighted or un, un sighted or unsighted for that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Knowing where they all went just from you know which, knowing which album it was just by feel was just incredible. Yeah. And his whole system for keeping the place open for so he knows where to put it back and where they go alphabetically or whatever. However, he was um, coming up with his list. It was fascinating. That alone was worth that whole episode learning his whole process for collecting yeah. records so and how many remind me how many albums again he had i think it was like thirty thousand. 
and and you think you were a collector. <laughs> I know, I know. I have like three thousand CDs, and I think I'm buried in it. He's got like 30,000 30, records. That was that's crazy. So anyway, good. Yeah, I'm glad we told that story. It took a while, and it wasn't the perfect story that I wanted to tell, but I think it came out really nicely, and it was nice to honor Jeff that way. I'm glad we did that. Okay, the next one is Thor. Now, this is one of the only episodes I can think of this that we've put out this year where I can understand if you aren't a fan or care about Thor that it wouldn't mean anything to you. I think there are almost every episode we've put out this year has some nutritional value whether you like the guest or not, you know? But this is the first one where I, I, I could give it to you if you were like, I don't know who that guy is, doesn't interest me. I understand. I don't blame you. He, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, so he's he's this weird kind of hybrid of of superheroes and uh, bodybuilder and comic book character, but also heavy metal singer. It's weird. And there's a really interesting documentary out there on him called I Am Thor. And I saw it a few years ago. In fact, BJ Cramp, our buddy from Rock and Roll, years ago, he was like, John, uh, I Am Thor is on Netflix or something. You've got to see this. And I didn't know who Thor was. And it was so interesting, this documentary. And so when I got an email from his publicity people saying Thor's new album or Thor's new single or whatever it is is coming out, I was like, well, that's actually a really interesting story. I would like to kind of follow up on that because what motivates someone to become this kind of a hybrid character? And let's get behind the mask a little bit. Who's the real Thor, the real John Mickle? Tell, I want to know about that guy and about the amount of work you have to put in to maintain your comic book imagery or whatever. I even got tickets to see him in concert, which was interesting because he played this little tiny bar and there were maybe 30 people there. I think the pandemic hit a week later, maybe something like that. It was everything shut down. It was one of the last concerts I saw before everything closed. Michael Aston from Gene Loves Jezebel, I saw a few days later and that was the last show I ever saw. And uh, anyway, so, but it, it just didn't, I didn't feel like it didn't quite get there. You know, it didn't, uh, I didn't get quite enough under the skin or under the mask or the facade to my level of satisfaction. And uh, frankly, his music's not that good. It's more a, it's more an image. All of it is of a piece. And if you like the image, then you probably listen to the music and vice versa. So I don't know that we like turned anyone on to Thor's music. But I was really hoping to tell an interesting story, and I'm not quite sure that we got there. But whatever. I'm glad we had him on the show. That was really good. I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed his, the story about the adventures. Mm. Uh, he should have, He should. they should have not given that part away to somebody else. <laughs> you imagine, imagine getting to play opposite Elizabeth Shue. No, no. Yeah. Slight crush when I was younger, but let's face it, who didn't? <laughs> she might be my biggest 80s crush. I still have a crush on Elizabeth Shue. She still looks amazing. Yeah, I love her. Oh, and I wanted to mention, um, there's a part, there's a scene in the movie, in the documentary on him, where he touches on, his first album comes out, Let the Dogs Out, or the dog, something dogs, whatever it is. And um, right before he's about to go on a world tour, he gets kidnapped. And that's what causes his career to stall and it's a little weird it's a little out of nowhere and it's not explained very thoroughly in the documentary so i asked him about it i was like yeah what's the deal with this it, everything fell apart because you got kidnapped explain that for us and he actually asked us to cut it out 
and didn't want to talk about it. He said, I didn't even want that in the original documentary. I don't want to get into it. Can we move past that? So if anyone who's seen the documentary and thinking, why didn't you ask him about the kidnapping? I did, and he didn't want to talk about it, so we cut it out. That's why. Okay, I'm going to turn this one over to you because the next one was Victor DiLorenzo from The Violent Femmes. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you had to work with and what you did with it? So... You were really concerned that this one was going to turn out really bad. I actually had to... Ooh. We had to push it back a couple of a couple of times just because the amount of work I had to do on it. There was a lot of cutouts and where the, you know, where the Skype call would just go... Mm-hmm. You know, that buzz kind of thing. So there was a lot of that in there and I had to find spots to, to cut those out and mesh it so that the conversation flowed without feeling like there was you know there was a lot of cut yeah it's it uh took, i mean you saved it, it. took a, an awful lot of time and i think i i remember sending you a, the, the night it was getting published i remember sending you a gif on facebook messenger that one of these ones, I've been saved. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a, I mean, it, it is, it's a miracle that you saved this. Just so everyone knows. So I don't know what was going on with Skype that day. In successive weekends, this was before I went back to work. So this would have been April. On successive Fridays, uh, I did interviews with people. And so there's another one that's just as bad as Victor's was that we're going to put out eventually. And, um, Imagine like every two minutes, probably the sound dropping out for anywhere from ten to thirty seconds. When you say, "Yeah," and it's not just dropping out, just going like a really loud buzz. Yeah, there were even times. Did you notice it was as if you were picking up feedback from other conversations? Yeah. Yeah. And it had, I don't know how, it had never happened before. I don't know what, the only thing I can think of is this was the, like the pandemic's first happening and maybe the internet is just overwhelmed with people, you know, getting on Zoom calls or Skype calls or whatever. We're not used to it. I don't know, but on successive Fridays, I had these two interviews that just were a mess. And um, it took months for you to fix that one to be as perfect as it was. It's, it's a miracle that it turned out. And it was great. It was a great interview, and I was so glad that it turned out. In fact, one thing that I thought was really interesting is if anyone out there listens to Sound Opinions, they do, Jim and Greg do, like, buried treasures sometimes. And Greg, one of his buried treasures was the uh, the EP, uh, what's it, Transophone, that Victor put out that we were promoting. And what's interesting about that is that the that episode of Sound Opinions was released on the same day that Victor and I did our interview. What a, that, I thought that was kind of an interesting coincidence, and I didn't even know that. So anyway, I uh, I had been wanting to tell the Violent Femme story. I thought it would be really interesting to hear it from a guy who had left the band. Why would you do that? What have you got better to do? And you can tell it's just not his jam anymore. And um, he was a really sweet, humble guy. I'm really glad we got to learn more about the Violent Femmes. I'm hoping one of these days, I'm torn about it. I'd love for him to come back on and do a deep dive of that first album with us, but I don't want him to feel like he's got to talk about it for the billionth time if he does. So, hey, I'm still thinking about that one. But anyway, you saved it. You made, the, you saved that one from, you know, it was almost unworkable. No, nothing's ever unworkable. 
<laughs> well, we'll see. I have one more that uh, I've been saving that's in the exact same shape as that one. So um, you've got another one to look forward to one of these days. Okay, next up from that was uh, the Colts deep dive with Bob Rock. I don't know what more to say about it. We're just, I mean, Bob Rock is one of the most successful producers in history. And we've talked to him twice. And uh, I don't know that he knows who we are or anything like that. It's not like we're friends. But his willingness to talk with us and give us that kind of information is amazing. We are so lucky to hear from legends like Bob Rock. And I will tell you, I, um, you know, he produced a lot of big time albums like Motley Crue and um, and back in or uh, the Black album from Metallica and Doctor Feelgood and all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking, I'm sure he gets asked about those all the time. Maybe he doesn't talk about the cult as often. And um, I'm more of an alternative rock guy anyway. So that seemed like the right one. I will admit he was so nice and willing to talk about whatever I wanted. I did wonder if I should have asked him if he would do the Black Album with me instead from Metallica, just because that would be an even bigger deal. But whatever, a lot's been said about that album already. And I don't think as much is out there on the Colts Sonic Temple. So I was glad we told that story. Yeah, oh, that was great. And originally, I know mean, when you said Bob was going to come back and do a, a deep dive, mm -hmm. I was hoping he would talk about his Paola's album. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty good. Yeah. The, the cult is good. I'm, I'm a fan. And incidentally, if, if we're talking about cult stuff, I wonder if anybody's seen the Lego stop motion video that's kicking around YouTube for She Shall Sanctuary. It's fantastic. It is. It so is. It's great. Yeah, I wondered about the Paolas. You know, a lot. Some people. Some people. I leave it up to them to decide. I knew because I was working through someone to line up these interviews with Bob. If I was going to him directly, I probably would have said, "I'm thinking the cult," but what are you thinking? But because I'm working through someone and I'm trying to, I'm trying to eliminate the amount of emails going back and forth lining something up and saying, what would you like to cover, Bob? Waiting for a response. It's usually easier if I just say, let's talk about the cult. Let's talk about it on this day at this time. So, and that was my thinking about the pay, not going with the payolas or whatever else. Um, but may, we may have to do that again. I don't know. I, I hope that he remembers us. Maybe we can bring him on again. We were really lucky to have him. Yeah, it was great. He was. And um, I think it's so interesting that he lives on a farm in Maui. You don't think of Hawaii having very many farms, like with horses, but his does. What a life. Okay, next up is Lee Sklar, another immediate family member, um, another great. Uh, in this, uh, uh, you can't miss him because of his long hair and his beard that he hasn't shaved in like 40 years or something like that. I really like that conversation. I like the way it turned out. I thought the Phil Collins stuff was really, really interesting. And again, as I've said, I was trying not to ask each one of them about the same exact people. So I was trying to spread it around. And I was glad that we got stuff on like Paul Williams and Neil Sadaka and other interesting people that we would never have normal conversations about. I was glad we covered that ground. Um, I, I think I've mentioned this before, I can't remember, but um, Lisa Roy is their PR person. She was so fantastic, so great working to work with. And she said, let's do some deep dives, just let me know when. And so I'm gonna line up deep dives with all four of them. And these are people where I would probably say, you tell me which album you wanna talk about. Because 
you know, they've done so many, but what ones do they, could they really speak to every single song, which is going to come up here in the next uh, bit that we're going to talk about. But anyway, I might leave it up to them to choose. So hopefully we get four or five more deep dives out of this too, because those guys are great. Yeah. Other way, his look is is, is iconic. You, you uh, can't miss him. You yeah. know it's him. Yep. Yep. Um, and I should I should uh, encourage anyone who doesn't look at his daily videos on YouTube. They are so interesting, and they're about twenty minutes long, and it's just him talking about Tim sharing a story working on some album, working on some song. Maybe he's playing a song that he likes and he tells you why he likes it. It's all really fantastic stuff. Lee is the best. Okay, next up, speaking of knowing your things. Uh, so the next up next up is Steve Thompson's deep dive on the John Lennon Yoko Ono album, Milk and Honey. This is an interesting one. So Steve uh, is one of, I love Steve. Steve's one of our best guests. And... Um, he, I had wanted to have him back on for a while. We almost did this about a year and a half ago. And I think we were going to talk about the Psychedelic Furs album, Midnight to Midnight, which actually isn't even very good. But I, that's what I thought we might talk about. He got busy. We left it alone. I started texting him again. And I was like, look, I know you have to talk about um, Appetite for Destruction all the time, every day of your life. What would you like to talk about that you don't feel like you talk about enough? or as often. And he write, uh, you pick. And I'm like, well, I don't know, you pick. What, you know, what do you want? We go back and forth, you pick, no, you pick, no, you pick. Finally, he's, he, I'm like, well, here are some things I was thinking about. And I list like five or six albums. And he wrote back and said, let's do John Lennon. I never get to talk about John Lennon. I'm thinking, great. I mean, we this is, you know, John Lennon is a legend. Let's get some stories about John Lennon. Lennon. But then it turns out that Steve didn't he didn't work that closely on it. He uh, he wasn't anywhere he wasn't in the room when John Lennon recorded his demos that turned into his songs on the album. He just remixed them afterwards. He didn't work out at all on any of the Yoko Ono songs, and so he was all. I mean, yes, he was involved, but it was more peripheral. And so he really, in the end, didn't have like stories to tell about each individual song. So I'm kind of scrambling, like, well, where are we going to take this conversation? I don't want, it's going to be over in like 15 minutes. We burned through it all. Luckily, there were, you know, there's lots of him describing what like John and Yoko's apartment looked like. And that it was really, it was all white and there was a sarcophagus on the wall and him playing with Sean Lennon and Sean complaining to Yoko. I, no one, why doesn't anyone ever play with me like Steve plays with me? That kind of info is gold. And I was really glad we got that. We may not have otherwise, but it was interesting having a, doing a deep dive with somebody who couldn't speak that uh, directly about all of the songs on the album. See, I thought he was actually pretty good. I mean, he, he didn't work directly with John, but he, you know, he certainly had a hand in making it the, the way it came out. And I thought he said, uh, not quite enough on the Yoko stuff, but mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a total bust. I, I, I didn't think. But no. Like you said, the other the other stuff was, the other info was great. We, how likely are you to get that anywhere else? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I'm I'm glad he came back on. If we do it again, maybe we'll do one of the bigger albums that he's worked on. Okay, Tanya Donnelly. This one's interesting because this is one of those times where I was sure that it wasn't very good. Here's the deal. I really like Belly. I like The Breeders okay, but I'm not crazy about that first album that she's on. I've never quite come around to, the, to throwing muses other than a few songs. I like some of Tanya's solo work, not all of it, 
So I felt a little bit like a half-hearted fan, you know? I mean, I'm a fan, but I'm not like obsessed or anything. And some of it I like, some of it I don't. And I felt like I was too much of a poser, you know? I didn't feel like I was giving her enough of my love and my passion like I do for so many other people. And so I worried that it wasn't good enough. But what's interesting is that it's one of our more popular episodes of this cycle. And um, I heard really good things from everybody who loved it. And I'm just like, really? See, this is another example of why I'm not to be trusted because <laughs> I never guess right. on the, the ones I think are great, people don't care about. And the ones I don't think are very good, a lot of people love. In fact, um, they mailed, her record label mailed me a copy of their CD and we uh, gave away two other copies to two Patreon winners, by the way. Hopefully you guys got those. And um, the letter said, uh, Tanya said this was the best interview she did on this cycle for this album. And I just thought, what is everyone listening to? I did not think that was all that great. But anyway, it turned out, who am I? Who am I to judge? I'm glad everyone liked that one so much. Uh, that, that goes back to you, you never think these are going to turn out the way they do. <laughs> That's true. And That's then, true. And then you listen to them after I'm finished with them, and yeah. they're much better. They are. Than you thought yeah. they were going to be. Every time. Every time I'm concerned when you're done with them and they're tightened up and the music is there making things make sense, it's I never have anything to worry about. But it feels like I do, you know? And I, I, a byproduct of all of this is that a lot of the time I get so sick of hearing my own voice. So sick of it. <laughs> and I cannot stand it. And so when I've done a lot of interviews in a week and I've had to go back and listen to old interviews to get them ready to send to you and all that kind of stuff. And I can hear, I hear my voice and the little, you know, the little ticks and glitches that I have all the time. I cannot stand it sometimes. And that's how I was feeling when, when that episode came out. So, but I'm glad people liked it. I'm really glad. And she is, you said it, she's a pioneer. She's amazing. She absolutely was a pioneer mm -hmm. for th those bands at that time. Mm -hmm. and she's another one you know we've had some women on this year that just the rock and roll hall of fame needs to get their stuff together and get yeah. some of these people in yeah that's one thing i think uh has been really good about this year is that we've had a lot more women i'm I, as i've said many many times i'm always trying to get more women and more r&b artists and it's difficult for whatever reason but we've had a lot of I'm always hoping for like 10 to 25% of our guests to be female. And I don't know that we're quite there. We're probably somewhere in the middle this year, but all the ones we've had on have been great. You know, even going back to like Martha Wash from last year, which was fantastic too. I'm really glad that we've been able to showcase some really fantastic women this year. That is so important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And her music was, you know, Tonya's stuff is, is really, really good. Yeah. I love the new one. With those, the, the, sisters was yep. excellent yeah i agree okay another deep dive nick from um nick van Eed from the cutting crew this is i think one of our very best ones he is so charming and he comes prepared i think one of our listeners uh fragile gods fragile gods i don't know your real name but i know that's your musical moniker and you comment so i always look forward to your comments and he was saying it was so nice to hear somebody come on who was prepared with their comments and their and their stories. And I totally agree. Nick is such a charmer. And I had thought, I had been actually trying to get Nick for probably about a year, year and a half, 
because Nick and I had a really good relationship. And I thought, I bet he is sick to death of talking about that first album with I Just Died in Your Arms and everything. And so I wonder if he would love to talk about the second album, which doesn't get a lot of love, but the fans really love. I know one of our buddies, Dave Peterson, one of our listeners. Hi, Dave. That's one of his favorite albums of all time. And so I'm thinking of people like Dave when I'm lining this up and I'm thinking, Dave's going to love this. This is one of their unsung albums. We'll get all the stories. And Nick totally delivered. For whatever reason, there were two songs that he specifically said he didn't want to talk about. I don't know why. He name dropped both of them, but we didn't play them or dwell on them for long in the conversation. But um, anyway, that to me is how a good deep dive should go. And and only a few people have come that prepared. Him, Rupert Hine, you know, Ian from uh, Ian Burden from Human League, whatever it might be. That, this is an example of how great a deep dive can be when done well. Yeah, well, he was he was great, and th- that really is a good album. Yeah. And why that didn't do so well, I don't understand. It was every bit to me, what you know, it sounded every bit as good as that first album. Mm-hmm. It was just slightly different. It was a little bigger sound. It was that big music time with like Big Country and Simple Minds and U2 and The Alarm and all those bands and but and The Call and they were doing just as well. But for whatever reason, those other bands were accepted when they went that route a little more so than uh, these guys were. And I don't know why, but it was really I'm really glad we got to do that. Cutting Crew are great. Um, and that new album of the orchestrated versions of their songs, just like uh, Wang Chung did. It's really beautiful. And oh, uh, right. Yes. And what's interesting. To, so I'll, I'll make a confession here. There are one or two Cutting Crew albums that I actually don't like very much. Grinning Souls is one. His last new album, I can't remember the name of it right now, but that didn't grab me either. But the versions of those, of songs from those albums that are on this orchestrated album are are fantastic. It totally made me rethink the stuff I didn't think I liked, which is a good sign that an album like this is working. So anyway, check it out. Uh, Okay, Andy Richards. This is one of my favorite ones. Maybe my favorite one of this last cycle. He is so great and was such a straight shooter and so honest. First of all, we'll start with, aside from the things he said about the people on there, we had we ended up cutting out, what, probably 15 minutes of po- politics talk on this one? Yeah, maybe around that and then some other stuff as well. Yeah. And I, I've, and I should say, I, I opted to cut it out um, mostly for time because Andy and I talked for so long, I just thought... People probably want to get right to the meat and not hear more politics. But I I didn't cut it out because I was necessarily afraid that I was going to offend anyone. And as we already got done saying, we're going to probably leave stuff like that in because that's just where these conversations go naturally. But Andy was so <laughs> learning that, you know, no one from Frankie Goes to Hollywood is in the room when they're making those albums. That confirms kind of what we've always wondered but didn't know for sure and that that was also true for propaganda that claudia brooken is coming in to sing those songs but otherwise almost no one is there and same with uh doing wham careless whisper now i know careless whisper is sort of technically more of a george michael solo song but andrew ridgely is nowhere to be found that kind of information is so interesting because that's that's uh that's turning mythology and legends upside down the things that we're meant to believe about bands and that they're all together and they're working together and they're making this music is not always the case and hearing stories like that from andy it is 
giving you a real glimpse of what's going on in there. And that kind of information is so valuable, I think. Also, he talked a lot of crap about Chris DeBerg, and you ended up cutting a lot of that out, too. Yeah. Yeah. I know. To be honest, I never realized that he was that much of an ass. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, did. And go he ahead. produced the Miss World winner, too. Yeah. Well, his wife produced the Miss World winner. <laughs> right. I um, I never thought one way or the other about Krista Berg. I mean, Lady in Red, everybody knows, but that's it. And I read an article on Krista Berg 10 years ago, maybe, and he sounded like a lunatic. And I just was, oh, that's what we're dealing with with Krista Berg. Maybe that's why we only know the one song. Maybe that's why he's never been much of anything over here. Um, and Andy's comments sort of confirmed what I had read in that article. It's a shame. I've actually gotten some requests for Chris over the years, and I'd be totally into interviewing him, except that I've never really listened to his stuff that much. So I would have a lot of homework to do. But it was really just fascinating hearing unfil unfiltered thoughts from Andy on everything. He was so great at that. And that's exactly what we're striving for on here. So well, I, that's, honest, yeah, go ahead. To be honest, does anybody listen to anything really other than much than Lady in Red? Not in the States. Not in the States. There's not much. I mean, there's a few diehard fans probably, but that's it. So, and he, but he's making bank. He probably doesn't care. I mean, Lady in Red is still played all the time somewhere. He's probably filthy rich from that one dumb song and he doesn't care, you know? So anyway, it's, uh, he's in good shape. I don't think he cares too much what we think about that. Anyway, yeah, I think Andy Richards might be my favorite episode from this last cycle. And that was another one that was done back there were a bunch that I was trying to do in March and April before I went back to work. And so I was just cramming in as many interviews as I could. And some of those have still yet to come out because I've had to keep pushing them for all these more time sensitive ones, you know? So there's still, there's still two or three, I think from that period that I have, we haven't been able to get out yet. And this was one of them. It took a while, but I'm glad it came out because it was so good. Okay. Clive Langer came back on to deep dive that madness compilation. I had, uh, you know, he was so um, open and honest when I had talked to him before. Just, John, let me know whenever you want to want me to come back on. I'm happy to do it. And I thought, well, he said it. I'll take him up on it. And he's been, he's basically the eighth member of Madness. So we had to talk about Madness somehow. And um, that compilation album felt like the right thing because that was my introduction to Madness. You, they're so big in the UK compared to America. What's your history with Madness? Yeah. Well, like, I think like we we mentioned, uh, you know, we, we talked about back and forth of, of our messenger at that time. You know, the first Madness vinyl I bought was shut up because I'm sitting there and all right, they're going to say this. So, nothing. <laughs> Wait, where is it? <laughs> Let's play it again. Where is it? I must have missed it. Nope, didn't miss it. Oh, that's but so that, that was actually really good because like Clive said that that album was specifically for the states it didn't exist over here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah. so so that was primed specifically to to encourage a US audience to to look into madness yeah. and there are some great songs on that it is um, it's interesting because that's exactly what it was like I said I was nine or ten at the time. And uh, Our House is the first thing I've heard. And so I go to the record store wanting to buy this. And so to me, Grey Day and um, Blue Skinned Beast and um, 
It Must Be Love and House of Fun and these kinds of songs. Shut up. I assume that these are all the songs on their current album, but they're not. They've been cherry picked from all the old albums. And as I mentioned, you know, Madness is one of the most important and key two-tone ska bands, but there's almost no ska, straight up ska on that compilation. It was almost as if they were thinking, let's put, let's give America a sign of the band of Madness as being the band they think they know from our house, not necessarily the band they've always been historically. And it, they nailed it. That album was great. I had that record as a kid and I loved it. And it worked for me. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Now, if you, just going back to Shut Up, if you go back and look at the official video right at the start, they do shout Shut Up. They do? Uh, I didn't know that. I don't know if I've ever seen that video. That's great. Well, good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm so glad we were able to do that. I've been trying like crazy to get somebody from Madness on here for years, and it's never worked out. And I, you may have noticed, I name drop. I dropped that a little bit when I talked to this, some of these people, like Clive. Yeah, you know, it's a sad Clive. I've been trying forever to get somebody from Madness on here, hoping that he's going to say, "Oh, let me help you with that, John." But he didn't do that. But anyway, whatever. No, he was he was really good though, and some of you know the stories he told about about the band were good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. Um, okay, next up is Lone Justice. This is another one of those that, so this one has a long history. I reached out, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Steve Barton from Translator, who we had on probably two years ago. Steve did some work with Marvin Itzioni, who was a member of Lone Justice. And I said in that interview, I have been trying to get somebody, I want to get someone from Lone Justice on here. They're one of those famous kind of one and done bands, uh, 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 it's a sad story. I'd love to. And he said, well, I'll put you in touch with Marvin. So Marvin and I talked one night and um, I was I was explaining to him what the show was going to be. And he said, you know what? I think you probably do a better job talking with Ryan instead of me. I think Ryan's who you're going to want to talk to. So Ryan and I start emailing and texting and he agrees to the interview. So we do an interview and you can tell Ryan is a very lively, excitable guy. He, uh, he... <laughs> I don't know if anyone out there will understand this reference, but one of my favorite movies from the 80s is called About Last Night with Demi Moore and Rob Lowe and James Belushi and Elizabeth Perkins. And the movie kicks off with James Jim Belushi telling a story about a girl he picked up in a bar and how... And Anyway, I can't even recreate it without getting kind of dirty. If you know the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And it, he's talking so rapid fire that it... Uh, and it seems to last, the way the movie's edited, it seems to have lasted all day long, this story. That's what uh, Ryan reminded me of. If anyone knows that movie, you'll understand the reference. So anyway, he and I talk, we're talking for like an hour, and it's all about the cowboy punk scene in LA. It's not actually that interesting. And then I start asking about Maria, and he won't say anything on the record. And... Um, I said, well, we got to say something. We can't just act like Maria never happened. He's like, well, I know, but there's only so much I can say. And he would tell me a lot of things about it and they would all be off the record. And I'm like, well, look, why don't, this isn't going to work. You know, this isn't the kind of, this isn't what people want to hear. So why don't we give it some time and come back and try this again? And I said, now that you know kind of what this is, you can think about answers that, you feel comfortable with that won't be off the record. And he said, yeah. And now that you know of how much is needs to be off the record, you can think about the questions you want to ask. So we started texting back and forth and we never found a time. And then I just let it, I didn't 
bother with it for like a year and a half. We finally picked it back up. We discussed it first. He was saying, you know what I think I want to do instead is that no one has ever really, uh, I've never really told my my side of this story and documented our band's history as it pertains to the cowboy punk scene in LA at the time. And if we could do that, as opposed to focusing too much on Maria McKee, that would be better. And so that's what we did. And that's why if you're listening, if you listen to that, you wondered why there wasn't more talk on Maria. That's why. I have my own opinions about all this. Um, I think I think people, when powerful men like Jimmy Iovine uh, see a young woman, a young ingenue who's attractive and can sing, and he thinks, I've already made all these other people like Stevie Nicks uh, a superstar. I could do the same for her. And he wants to sort of mentor or get these people under his wing. That separates them from the rest of their band. And um, it creates friction and distance that is really hard to make up. And I think that's what happened. And I think a lot of that, understandably, probably went to Maria's head. You mean you want to make me a star? You think I have what it takes to be famous and rich? Okay, I'll follow you instead of these guys I was in a band with, you know? So anyway, that's my take on what happened. That's based on my own opinion. That's not, you know, Ryan didn't tell me that. That's based on my opinion. I'm I'm really glad he went the way, the direction he did and focused on his own thoughts about the music as it relates to their you know their role in that genre in that time i actually really enjoyed that one yeah the music was good Mm -hmm. yeah um i need to dive heavier into his stuff outside of lone justice and um i heard from so many people he name drops an album in there i think it was by the silos if i remember right it's like one of his favorite albums ever and he's like john you've got to hear this album I meant to listen to it before we did this recap because I wanted to report on it. I haven't done it yet, but I probably heard from half a dozen of you who are like, John, seriously, that album is incredible. The one with the bird on the cover, go listen to it. So I will, it'll, I'm buried in interviews these days, but when I'm done, I will listen to it because I'm really curious too. Uh, Okay. Next up is Russ Kunkel, the last of the immediate family people. Speaking of women, he was, Married to Carly Simon for a while, played on a lot of her albums back in the day. I asked him about that. He said, you know what? It's probably better if we don't go there. So in case you were wondering why Carly Simon did not come up in the conversation, that is why. So we focused on other things. I just, I left that conversation thinking, how great would it be to be Jimmy Buffett? And just, you're a billionaire because you've created a whole lifestyle brand out of your music and your life and on a beach and drinking alcohol and getting high and having fun and partying and uh it's made you rich what a life that must be you know to be jimmy buffett yeah i mean jimmy buffett's some amazing music yeah and i actually a couple of one of my uh, good work colleagues when i was living in in kansas him and his wife are involved with the Parrotheads. Mm, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it. Uh, I don't know enough about it. I mean, I know some Jimmy Buffett songs, but apparently it's this whole subculture. It's almost like the Grateful Dead or something like that. You know, just people coming together, swearing by this music and this lifestyle, and going all in. And it's a mystery to me because I've never been a part of it or seen it. But hey, it's made, it's given Jimmy a really nice life. And Jimmy seems like a really nice, fun guy. And Russ was great too. He was a lot more dry, you know. He's not, uh, he's not like 
I don't know, super funny or, I mean, he's really funny, but it's a dry humor and all the comments about how he had the best weed and that's why he was getting calls. It was that great. Was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was great. So why are you getting called? Well, maybe I had the best weed. <laughs> it's probably true. Well, I suppose at that time that probably would do it. It probably would. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Hopefully we get these guys back on for some deep dives. I'm really curious to see what they uh, what they pick. Um, okay. Next up is the Mighty Lemon Drops deep dive. That was a great one too. I had um, been. I always felt like I had a pretty good relationship with Dave Newton, and I've uh, been wanting to give them, bring them back, bring him back on. So I'm torn on some of these things. The deep dives are really just a way to kind of reestablish and reconnect with people we've had on the show that we felt like we had a good relationship with. And um, sometimes some of those people, you know, World Without End is a great album, but it's not, you know, multi-platinum. It's not legendary. It's not on the best of all times lists, but it's a fantastic album if you know it. And so I get torn sometimes whether it's worth it to do deep dives of albums that are a little more obscure. To me it is because I hope that I'm sharing, I'm turning you guys on to music that you may not know, but. If you're like me, I don't know that I would listen if it was something that I didn't know. And so I, I, I don't know whether our listeners come to us because they want to learn more about music they don't know, or if they want to hear stories and background stories about music they do already know. And it's a fine line. And so hopefully the people who like this album and like the Mighty Lemon Drops appreciated that conversation because I did and that album was great. And if you didn't and you listened to it, thank you. And if you didn't and you listened to it and you learned something and you found music you liked, that's the whole idea. And if you skipped it because you didn't know it, I understand. You know what I mean? What, should, what do you oh, think, Ian? Oh, I totally get what you mean there. I mean, that's how I often buy my music. I go into, like, say, when I was living in, in Kansas, I'd go into, like, a Borders or a Barnes and Nobles or something like that. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be, I'd go to the music section while the now X was in the books, mm-hmm. I'd be in the music section and I'd be sat there like, oh, that looks that looks different and unusual. Let's have a listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Stick uh-huh. my headphones on. Oh, I like that. I'm having that coming home with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think it's still worth it to do uh, deep dives of albums that maybe not everyone knows but are still good and and the guest yeah, is good to us? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know. You know, if it's something we don't know about, you know, that's how I ended up with yeah. four of the seven studio albums that Screaming Trees have put out. Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't know anything about them. I, I saw an album cover, listened to it, loved it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's buy that. And then, you know, bought more. Yeah. Speaking of music you like, I don't know if you you know Brad Page, our buddy who's been on here a couple of times. Brad's podcast, I'm in love with that song. Every two weeks he takes a song that he loves and he dissects it. It's such a fantastic podcast. And I was thinking of you, Yen, because the episode that came out this week was on a Thorns song. And it's beautiful. I can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head. But you should go back and check that out. Everyone should. Because Brad is fantastic, and I know how much you love the Thorns. And I was just yeah. thinking of you the whole time I was listening to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'll come up with the, for later for one of the questions. Uh, I thought so. I thought that yeah. might be the case. Okay. Uh, okay, just two more. Um, 
Tris Imboden, I always say Imboden, but I think it's Imboden. Um, he was great too. That's another one where I had pinged him probably a year ago um, on Facebook and never heard back. And then six months later or something like that, he finally replies, oh, sorry, I'm just seeing this. Yeah, I'd be happy to do it. And I thought his, I thought his tune would have changed because by this point he was no longer in Chicago. And I thought that might be kind of a touchy subject to talk about. And he may not be doing any press on the matter, but he was totally open to talk. And he did. He didn't say what the incident was. I didn't. I don't blame him. That's fine. But uh, he was totally cool about it. And um, so I'm glad that we did that. I, I have one criticism of myself on that one. I felt a little bit like I rushed it. I felt a little bit, for whatever reason, when it was from the time I... I heard from him and we texted about it and we scheduled it and we completed it. It almost went by too fast. And I feel, I felt like I had rushed him and I hadn't given him enough. I haven't let, I didn't let him bask in our love and in our respect and honor enough. I felt like I went too quick and uh, it really bo it bothered me that I felt that way, but I thought it still turned out well. And he and I are scheduled to do a deep dive in the next couple of weeks. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. He, was, he was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I had, I was going to mention I had reached out to him specifically because I've been dying to talk about that Kenny Loggins album, Vox Humana. And I was trying, who's played on this? Who could talk about it? And I thought he could, but he'd only played on like one or two songs. So we didn't get as deep as I wanted. But either way, Tris is great. I meant to mention too on the Mighty Lemon Drops, that album was produced by Tim Palmer. Tim and I did an interview yesterday, day before yesterday. So um, that will be coming out in a few weeks as well. Just as a reminder, if you want to be a tier two Patreon person, sign up and then you can contribute questions for these interviews. Okay, last one is Mickey Curry. I was so glad to have gotten these three interviews with three great drummers. I thought we got to put these out back to back to back so that everyone can enjoy them. You know what's really interesting, by the way? Yeah. Um, of the three, Tris got the most downloads which really surprises me. I would have guessed Russ would have gotten the most downloads because the immediate family people are so uh, diehard about promoting everything right now. And in fact, Cooch shared his episode, Lee shared his episode, but for whatever reason, Triss's episode uh, got downloaded the most, kind of by, by ways. That really surprised me. I did not see that coming at all. Uh, with him having been in Chicago, yeah, for, maybe for a time, they've got a huge following. That's true, but they weren't like sharing it or anything like that. But maybe you know what? Maybe Andy Shaw helped us out there. Andy always posts our episodes on like fan pages and stuff. Maybe he did it. I know Tris did share it, and maybe people, fans of his, shared it on those kinds of things. I don't know, but I was really surprised. I kept seeing the numbers for Tris just go up and up and up. And um, Mickey and Russ did well too, but Tris did the best of all of them, and I did not see that coming at all. By the way, so Mickey Curry, I meant to mention, um, you cut this out. I was debating whether to leave it in or not. He kept calling me Tom. He thought my name was uh, Tom and not John. And so throughout the interview, he's calling me Tom. And it sounds close enough to John that I'm not 100% sure if he's getting it right or wrong. And then it, I realized, no, he's definitely calling me Tom. And at one point, uh, something happened and we got cut off. Or I don't remember, but I was like, just so you know, my name's John, not Tom. He felt terrible. He was just so apologetic. And I was like, no, 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 I don't care. I'm not bothered by it at all. I'm only mentioning this because when it comes out 
and you see that my name is John uh, and I'm referring to myself as John and you've been calling me Tom the whole time. I don't want you to feel bad. But uh, anyway, he was great. And he emailed me afterwards and he was like, thanks a lot, Bill. That was a great interview, Frank. Let's talk anytime, <laughs> you know, Gary or whatever. It was just <laughs> so he was That's he was brilliant. so nice. That's yeah. Because yeah. right at the end, I left that bit in where he said when he called you Bill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I it was pretty was great. So he was I, so I, nice. So yeah, nice. and I, I deliberately cut out the bit with him feeling bad about it because I, you know, I didn't think he need you know he didn't need yeah. to feel bad about it. No. It was it was fine. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mickey was great, and you, like I said, you really come away realizing why Mickey gets called as often as he does because he's such a fun, nice guy. It's like yeah. I could either ask a good drummer who's difficult and a diva and demanding, or I can call Mickey who's none of those things. And he's great. And he's fun. I'm going to call Mickey. You know, you realize when you start, when you start thinking about that world that way, like who's a good hang, do I want to hang out with Jay Graydon or do I want to hang out with the guy who's a diva and he wants to get paid a lot and he's no fun or his wife's hounding him all the time, or he's on drugs, whatever it is. Nobody wants those people. They want the good hang and people like Jay and Mickey and Tris and everybody else. That's what they are. That's why they get called, you know? Yeah. And I, I actually had to, you know, after his story about the, the Let the River Run, I had to go watch the video and yeah. watch him on the back of the Staten Island Ferry. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my favorite Carly Simon song anyway. But yep. I, I like that, like, almost... Uh, it's kind of African way, in the, way far and above... Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. Yes, I love that song too. Um, I didn't realize he was on there. I was really glad that Phil Thornalley keyed us into that. But um, yeah, I love that song and I love everything Mickey's done. And we didn't even get to all of it. I feel bad. There was so many people were like, "Oh, I hope you talked about Elvis Costello, or I hope you talked about Los Lobos, or I hope you talked about this or that." And we didn't. We didn't get to all of it. It was, it was just uh, so much ground to cover. Um, okay, that's the last three months. Uh, did we miss anything? Don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, I did throw it out. Uh, sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't. Just depends on whether I think we'll have time. Um, I think we're good on time. Do you want to cover some yep. listener questions? Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to kick it off with one from Michael Bagford. He sent me this personally, so you haven't seen it, but uh, um, we can throw it out there anyway. Uh, does it amaze you that a lot of the guests you talk to, like a lot of the guests you have spoken to, for example, Mickey Curry being a big fan of the drummer from Squeeze, whose name is Gilson Levis? Yes. You know, it's interesting, Mike, that you asked that question because I'm trying to remember who it was. It was probably Russ. Someone recently was talking about Don Henley getting his hands on a drum machine that he had heard from, I think it was the Motels. I think that the motels were in the, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you remember this better than me. I don't remember all the specifics, but I think they were all in the studio. The motels are in one studio working with a drum machine. Don Henley hears it and he loves it. And he thinks I've got to go get one of those drum machines. And that's when songs, that's when albums like building the perfect beast and everything happen. And you just don't think about, or no, I think it was Jane Weedlin. That's what it was. I think Russ was playing with Jane Weedlin and Don Henley hurt. That's even weirder. You just don't imagine people like Don Henley 
getting so turned on by a Jane Weedland song from the Go-Go's that he wants to go buy a drum machine. This is like the king of the Laurel Canyon Sound, Hotel California. Couldn't be further away from drug machines. But yeah, that's what happens. That kind of stuff does blow my mind. The connections that pop up. Half the interviews we do now, they, they'll start mentioning half a dozen people. And it's like, yep, they've been on the show. I know that guy. You know, it just, you, it shocks me. I'm sure it's probably uh, closer knit than we realize. Probably. And I think you realize too that um, styles and genres, that's something that have, that gets placed on music after the fact. Don Henley just appreciates a good song. And if it's Jane Weedlin or the Motels or Devo or whatever, he appreciates it no matter what. You know, you, we don't think that way because we put these artists in different camps, but they don't think of themselves necessarily that way. They're turned on by whatever gets them excited. And it was Jane Wheatland. So anyway, yeah. I think stuff like that's music. really interesting. Yes, right. Music. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and then they do with it whatever they do with it. And then marketers market it however they market it. Um, okay. Another question came in this morning from Ben Montgomery, our buddy of the Records Revisited podcast. Uh, he does those. He and Wayne do great work over there, by the way. What are our thoughts on the updated Rolling Stone magazine 500 greatest albums of all time? And with Marvin Gaye's What's Going On specifically coming in at number one. So I have a confession to make. I have purposely not looked at that list yet. I've been trying to avoid it. For years and years and years, I've had a subscription to Rolling Stone. And I noticed the last three or four uh, issues have not arrived, which tells me that my wife probably didn't renew it. And I've decided I'm fine with that because the magazine has changed so much anyway that I don't, I wasn't liking it that much anymore. It's not really the Bible of alternative culture or rock culture or whatever anymore anyway. So I'm fine with it. So I keep meaning to go to the, to the newsstand or whatever, the store and buying a physical copy of this magazine to read it tactically. I don't want to read it online. I know that Marvin Gaye is in it. Number one, I know some other things, but I haven't done that yet, and that's why I haven't. So I don't have a strong opinion about the 500, top 500 yet. I am okay with Marvin Gaye's What's Going On being number one. Um, I do think that is a timely choice. If we weren't in the situation that we're in in this country right now with Black Lives Matter and COVID and a racist president and all those kinds of things, the number one might be something different. But there is no question that that album is a masterpiece. And if it's number one because it is speaking to this time better than anything else, I am totally fine with that. I love Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Can't be a bit of Marvin Gaye. No, you can't. And I'm glad that something other than Sgt. Pepper came in at number one. I think that's been number one for like 30 years or something like that. Over 30 years. And it is. I mean, it's a great album. It's a little bit like whenever you see a list of the greatest movies of all time and Citizen Kane is always number one. And people now are like, what's so great about Citizen Kane? That album's so old. Well, for what it was, or that movie is so old. For what it was at its time, no one had ever seen anything like it. And it stands up. And that's absolutely true. But um, I am glad that Rolling Stone kind of changed it up a little bit. I'm eager to see the rest of that list. I'm like that with the classical music as well. Mm. I mean, for, you know, the, the classic FM every year does the top 300 or top 200 or something like that. Yeah. And almost every year, Vaughn Williams' Lark Ascending is in like the top two or three. Sometimes really? even number one. And I, I just... I can't figure it out. Why the heck is that number one? It is the most boring piece ever. 
Oh man, that I haven't. I would. I should look at that. You know, classical yeah. music. I love classical music, but I don't seek it out. But I should look into what like the top one hundred classical pieces are ever, and go seek that out. That would be ideal. That's yeah. a great idea. And to, to me, it should be something like I don't know, maybe like some something out of uh, Marv's last from Smetana or uh, mm. something from Wagner or something. Yeah. 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 Vaughn Williams doesn't do it for me. I love that Yan is dropping some classical music knowledge on our rock podcast. Good for you, man. I am so glad that you just did that. That is great. We all need to go out and get better acquainted with classical music. Okay. Ian Sharp threw this question out here. I'm curious how far out you're interviewing before releasing uh, the process for selecting and tracking interviewees down, and now you are more established. Are people coming to you? That those are that's all really good stuff. So, I always try to have at least about five or six episodes interviews, I should say, in the can, so that the pipeline is always full. For the last couple of years, it's been more like twelve interviews, probably, are in the can. At any one time, and uh, these days, I'm getting, I'm close to, after the, I have like a bunch of interviews scheduled in the next week and a half or so, when I'm done with those, I think I'm going to have like 22 interviews in the can, which is, sounds great, but it kind of sucks, because that means it's going to be five months, four months before some of these come out. I already mentioned there's ones that I did back in March that haven't come out yet. I've been sitting on those for like six or seven months now. I don't like that that's the case, but when so many people become available all at once, I got you got to pounce while you can, you know? So-and-so, some big name is out there promoting something. I'm not going to, I don't want to miss it, you know? So I try to push the more timely ones, people who are promoting something. And another thing is like, like when I, I remember specifically when I had uh, Andrew Ferris from NXS and Chris Hughes, and those were done in the can. And there's others like Ryan Hedgecock from Lone Justice. I like that interview, but it would be I, I can't in good conscience put out Ryan ahead of Andrew or Chris. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to sit. I'm not going to sit on Andrew Ferris for six months. So. I try to time it right. It's all a big puzzle. I've said this before. To me, it's all a big puzzle. What fits here? What what would the people who listened, who may have found us after last week's guest, who would they think is interesting, but also stretches them a little this week? What have I had sitting around for a while? What um, Who has been asking me, when's my episode coming out? Who is promoting something? What am I really into at the time? What is the easiest for Yan to produce on his with his schedule being what it is these days whatever it is i'm just constantly trying to figure that answer that question you know so um that's yeah i feel kind of guilty because there are interviews i'm doing in the next week and a half or so and they may not come out until february and um i don't like it but when you put out one episode a week that's the name of the game you know that's how it goes you always you should talk about your process yeah because i think you always do these basically the night of right at the moment, I'm trying to get to where I So now I'm going to be able to free up some more of my time. So I'll be able to start working on them earlier in the week or earlier the week mm-hmm. before and be able to get uh, get things a bit better 
uh, set to where I can get them out earlier in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always imagining you over there. It's two o'clock in the morning and you're just wrapping it up. And I'm just like, man, this guy's a machine. You've been working all day and now it's two in the morning and you probably have to get up and go to work in the next day. And um, but that's when is best for you to put them out. So anyway, I always feel bad about that. Uh, let's see. OK, uh, the process. I'm a oh. night owl. Yeah, I know. I, we both kind of are that way. I think, too, we both get can get by with not a lot of sleep for a few days. Well, if we have to. I went for two years going about three hours a night. Ooh, wow. Wow. Well, that's you're a bigger man than I am. I can do four. Well, that was, that was uh, self-inflicted. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Good point. Good point. Um, okay. Process for selecting and tracking interviews. There really isn't one. I, um, I keep a list on my desk of all of the inter people that are currently kind of in motion. Like who have I reached out to and they've said yes in six months? Or who has um, someone referred me to or whatever, who agreed to do a deep dive or um, whatever it might be. And um, I keep that list. And then as I do an interview someone, I just cross them off my list. But it's a lot of different things. You know, I'll hear a song and I'll get an idea or I'll be really into some band all of a sudden. And there's somebody I've always meant to try. And I'll think, yeah, well, I'm listening to them now. I'll try right now. We've been, I've got a lot of producers in the can these days. And I know those are some of your favorite episodes. Uh, speaking of the listeners, the listeners seem to love our producer episodes. And I have probably half a dozen of those in the, in the can right now. So it's just a matter of like what I'm, what's, what gets me excited. You guys send over a lot of requests. Some of them get me excited. Some of them don't. I always intend to get back to them. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I'm just like drowning in options uh, these days. And some of you will even, the best thing, honestly, is like, I know Brian Morris, our listener, Brian Morris, is always asking me to get Topper Heaton on. And it's like, I've tried to find Topper Heaton so many times, Brian. You go find Topper Heaton and you bring him to me because I can't find him. And so if you feel strongly about somebody and you don't feel like I'm acting quick enough or you want, if you want to help out, go find them yourself and then point them my direction. And that, cause that just makes the whole process easier. Um, let me see now that I'm more established are people coming to me. Yes. Um, yeah, we, and we're, I'm going to touch on that at the end of this episode, by the way. And I'm on the email chains of a lot of, you know, um, publicists and PR agencies and marketing agencies. And they'll t send something saying, Thor's new album's coming out. And I'll think, I like Thor. I want, I've always been wanting to talk to Thor. Let me talk to him. And sometimes it works out. So yes, that's how that works. Um, speaking of Brian Morris, he asked the question about sequencing um, of albums. That's an interesting topic to him. It is to me too. I think we're going to stick with questions. We may come back to that topic another time. Dave Greenberg asks, over the course, oh, did you have anything about any, any of Ian's questions that you wanted to chime in on? Yeah, and I... Kind of no, I thought what you covered was perfect. Okay, yeah. Um, over the course of doing the podcast, how have you changed your interviewing approach and why? From Dave Greenberg, that's a really good question. I worry sometimes, I think I have found in some ways that the sweet spot of our podcast is a mixture of two things. It is hearing great stories. It's and a mixture of that with some journalism of asking some tougher questions, 
which I think I'm pretty good at. I think I'm pretty good at asking tough questions, but in a loving way so that people know that I'm asking because I care. I'm not trying to drum up, you know, gossip or anything like that. I do worry sometimes that I've lost my edge when it comes to the journalism side. And because it is so easy and frankly fun to get people on and go down their resume and much like Bill Simmons does when he has an actor on or something like that, you tell me about this album. Tell me about that song. Tell me about this person. Tell me about when you did this. That's not hard. You know, any one of you could do that too. So the hard part is mixing that with some journalism, some real fact-finding, some real research. And um, I worry sometimes that I'm not doing enough of the journalism that I might be relying too heavy on their stories. Um, I try to find a mixture of both. So, um, but maybe you guys don't care. I mean, we've had a really good year. This has been, like I was saying, I'm, just about every episode that has come out this year has been stellar. And yet, if, so if I'm losing my touch, we're still doing okay. You know, I don't know. What do you think, Graham, uh, uh, Jan? What do you think makes for a really good interview? You know, from your side of, of it, what makes for a really good in- interview is a guest that's really in, invested in being able to, to willing to tell the story of whatever you're asking about. Yeah. And having them make, you know, be comfortable to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think the, you know, people like Andy Richards or Steve Kilby or whatever, these people who are brutally honest, that's what you want. You want people to be willing to be introspective. You want people to be willing to tell the truth. You want people to be willing to share their opinions and give you some insight on stuff. And um, hopefully, and I, and it, so it's my job to kind of earn the right and create a space for them to be able to do that. That's what I try to do. Yeah, I I agree. And I think you do a really good job of that. Thanks. Thank you. Um because, I just now re- Oh, you know, if you know, if you didn't, you know, it, it wouldn't take very long for for that to feed around, you know, publicists and what have you. Good point. And then yeah. and then you wouldn't get get the people. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think uh, I think we've I think we have a pretty good reputation out there and um I'm really grateful for that. And it's because our I ask the right questions and you make us sound great. And so between the two of us, we do a pretty good job. Okay. This is a really interesting question uh, from Steve Howard. I know it's a touchy one, but would love to hear what are the five to 10 least downloaded episodes? You're right. I purposely don't ever post that on our page. Obviously, I don't want the, the guests, if they follow us, to know. Another reason is that it's actually kind of difficult to know for sure. And the reason why is because, um, so the first 18, 20, 18, 19, 20 or so episodes, we were on a different platform. We were on Podomatic and we moved to Podbean. And when you do that, all the download numbers start all over again. So I don't have even a very clear picture of how well those first ones did. And then the first after that, from like 20 to 50 or so, we, we get new listeners all the time, but they don't always go back to the very beginning and start from the beginning. And so it's hard to know. The, we didn't really start taking off until around, I don't know. 
I think the first Eric Bazillion episode was one of the first that really did well. That was around 36, I want to say. And um, so we've been doing pretty good ever since. So the numbers are almost, it's hard to know because some numbers are low because they're in the early days when we didn't have a lot of listeners and not too many of you have gone back all that way. And then some are like, I haven't counted anything that's new because it's not fair. I mean, they've only been out a couple of months, whereas ones that have been out for a couple of years have had a lot more time to sort of, you know, marinate and get more numbers. So rather than coming up with a top 10 list and reading it in order, I'll give you an idea of some of the episodes that are just slightly shorter or have fewer downloads than some of the, than comparatively below average. Oh, and there are a few episodes I've noticed where the numbers are so far off that I think something's broken. Um, like, you know, they're, the episodes on either side of them have a thousand or two more downloads than this one does. And I know it's not because people aren't interested in it. It's because some counter somewhere in the algorithm or whatever is broken. And so it's hard oh. to know. Yeah, there was ones where, you know, we were we were uh, when we were making a fix. We were just incrementing yeah. something, and Podbean would change the the counter on it. So yeah, there's no real the uh, yeah yeah yeah. There's a few of those. It took us a, a few times to learn when when we would put one out and make and then hear from the person that they wanted something changed, and we'd make it edit make an edit to it. Yan would repost it, but it would be you know version two or whatever. And every time you did that, you changed the name of the file. We didn't know this, but it started all over your download numbers. And so I went back and kept, and I keep a list with me um, just to get a more accurate, like, you know, such and such episode had 277 downloads before we had to make the change or whatever. Now we know that if you don't change the name of the file, the numbers continue. So whenever Yan has to go back and make an edit, he just re, uh, re-ups it or uploads it keeping the same name to the file, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there are a few, like, for instance, Hirsch Gardner from New England. That episode is like 1,500 lower than everything around it. And there's no reason why it should be that way. So I'm thinking something is broken about Hirsch Gardner. I don't know why. But some of the, like, below average ones are um, Mike James Kirkland, who is a fairly obscure R&B soul singer from the 70s that I like a lot. And um, I, as, as I've said, I'm always trying to get more R&B people on here. I thought it'd be really interesting to hear from this guy who was a singer, had it going on in the late 60s, early 70s for a little while, but that was it. And um, I hope people will check out his music, but that one's kind of on the lower side. Robert White Johnson, from the band RPM is also kind of on the lower side. Um, I feel bad because he was so nice. And when I went out to Nashville for the first rock and pod, he and his wife took me to dinner and we had such a fantastic night. It, he was, they were so great. It was so cool. And I really love the music I've heard from RPM. And he wrote a song that Celine Dion, um, where's my heartbeat now? I think he wrote that song. And so he's maintained a career in music forever but um, and we were that, me too. And he's, yeah. he was so nice, but <laughs> he's a big Trump supporter and um, he doesn't like my posts and I don't like his. And so he unfriended me. So I don't think we're friends anymore. I feel bad about that. Another one is Dom Mariani, who is a guy from New Zealand 
who's like a power pop legend over there. Not he's not very well known over here, but one of his one of the bands, one of the many bands he was in is called the Sun Loves. In 1990, they put out one of the best power pop albums ever. And I tracked him down and we talked, and he's a really interesting guy. All of his music is great, but he's pretty obscure. So I understand. Another one that's a little obscure is Tony Ortiz. You're a big fan of Tony. Oh, have you have you listened to that new vid, the the new video that he posted a while yeah. back? Yeah, a few weeks back. Fabulous. Yeah, great song. Yeah, Tony was the lead singer of the Monroes, who did "What Do All the People Know?" Sweetheart of a guy, sweetheart of a guy, and um, he uh, his episode is I guess a little more obscure. There's others. Uh, Reach around who were a one-and-done band in the 90s. They had a song called Big Chair. I really liked Reach Around. Can't, can't think why with a name like that. <laughs> Shocker, right? Yeah. Why? What could have gone wrong? I don't understand. So, yeah, there's a few others like that. Um, Derek Van Eaton, which is a I thought would be really interesting, but it wasn't. He and his brother Lon were a singing group discovered by the Beatles, discovered by George Harrison, flown over to England, produced by George Harrison on Apple Records, have the worst album cover of all time, these two naked brothers embracing each other, basically. And the album doesn't go anywhere. Apple folds. That's basically the end of their career. And I thought people would lap that up because there are so many. He's not the best at telling his own story, but there are so many Beatles obsessives out there. I thought people are going to love this because it's going to color in so many cracks in your beetle knowledge but not enough people thought it was interesting they should because i know he talks about how he felt george ripped his one of his riffs yeah yeah i know it's just if you're a beatles fan like an obsessive i would point this episode out to you it's not great i'm not telling you it's fantastic but it will just give add more color to your beetle knowledge than you had before and who doesn't want that so anyway, of the last like year or two, some of the sh- uh, smaller ones, I think I think one of our most underperforming episodes uh, of the last couple of years is Steve Barton, the one I mentioned from Translator, uh, Tony Demur from The Fabulous Poodles, Mark Campbell from Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. That one kind of breaks my heart because he was the guy who was singing for Michael J. Fox in those final in the Johnny B. Good scene of Back to the Future. And everyone loves that movie. I thought that story would be so interesting to learn how he became the voice of that guy at that time and all the behind the scenes stuff. It was so interesting, but not that many people thought it was interesting enough to download it. Some of the other ones are Richie Fontana, Linda Clifford. Another one that's underperformed that I think also might be broken is Steve Diggle from the Buzzcocks, because there is no reason that the Buzzcocks isn't doesn't have huge download numbers and it's slightly below average and i think it's because it has the same issue as hirsch i think something might be wrong in the counter but anyway those are some of the underperforming ones okay let me see here that was a good good episode to the steve diggle yes it was and then pete shelley dies like what six weeks later out of the blue yeah like we i think you would said that that's got to be one of the last interviews steve diggle did Long form interviews Steve Diggle did before Pete Shelley died, before yeah. he knew that his musical partner would be gone. Isn't that interesting? Anyway. Okay. Andrew Jacobs wants to know when the daily polls are coming back on Facebook. I'd love to know myself. I'm, uh, Facebook seems to has, have taken that feature away. 
and I have no idea why. It's really frustrating because I really enjoyed that daily engagement with all of you. Um, I would set a week or two's worth of polls at one time and just I'd uh, set them to come out every morning around 7 a.m. my time. And my goal was to do a full year and never repeat an artist. And we had a week left and I had a long list of options on my phone, this band versus this band or whatever. And I was down to the wire. I had a week's worth of really good ones left. And then they took that feature away. And I, I, I don't think it's back. And I'm sad because I really miss that engage with, engagement with everybody. Well, that's interesting because I've seen other people do polls since that time yeah. on other pages. So there must be a way to do it. Maybe, uh, maybe I, I mean, I tried it a few times back then and couldn't make it work and I got frustrated. Maybe I'll try again. I miss it because I was going to flesh it out. We had talked about making it into brackets and doing like this album versus this album or this, you know, brackets of bands going down to the best of all time or song, this song versus this song. I, I was going to totally flesh it out, make it a daily thing and make it fun. And now I, it doesn't appear to be working anymore. And I don't know why. Maybe it just cut off for me. You know, I owe them like 10 bucks because I sponsored one of our posts years ago. I think it was the Robert Tepper one. And I'd forgotten that I had gotten a new debit card and hadn't, and Facebook still had my old card information. So to this day, I still get notices every day that they, that I owe them money. And I'm just like, forget it. I'm never, I'm not going to pay you. That sponsor didn't do anything anyway. <laughs> so maybe that's it. Maybe they're holding me back because I own 10 bucks. James Milton, how, maybe this is too personal. How do you make or find time for this? It is basically like a second job. Yeah. I work my full-time job when I have downtime during the day. I listen to the music of the person I'm getting ready to interview. As questions hit me, I have a notebook there on my desk and I start writing them down. I obviously try not to use too much of my work time on the podcast, but it's unavoidable. It's a uh, it's always there. And especially through with social media, I mean, we're getting pinged or messaged or whatever multiple times a day from everybody. And it's just, it's fun. It's exciting to engage with all of you. And uh, it is difficult to maintain a regular job. Uh, maybe you don't feel that quite as much. I don't know, Yan. Do you feel like uh, the, the podcast hinders you at all from being productive at your job? No, because yeah. I have, you have the, well, you have the more time-consuming piece to this. Yeah. Doing all the research, talking, doing the interviews. I just have to put it together. Yeah. And, you know, for a while, my, you know, with bits and pieces broken on my laptop, things were were uh, slowing down, but I'm starting mm -hmm. to get back up to the my target time per, yeah. you know, so... Uh, when I first started at this back, uh, episode 19, I was working, I was clearing maybe five to ten minutes of audio per hour work. Jeez. And Jeez. then I built up to around 30, 35, sometimes 40 minutes per hour work. And then when my laptop started acting up, uh, it went down to about 15 to 20. Oh, nice. Uh, and then I'm back up to about 25 to 30 at the moment. Mm. Okay. Boy, it's a lot of work. Yeah. So, so it's, if you, uh, so if you, uh, if you give, if you give me something that's like a one and a half hour interview, 
typically three to four hours of work. Yeah. yeah. Five, sometimes five. Depends. It's interesting because I try to keep these as tight as possible so that all you have to do is just insert the music. But I know you don't do that. I know you go through and listen to the whole thing and take out all the ums and uhs. I was like, man, you don't have to do that. But I know you. that's how you like it. And that's why they sound great. So, I mean, I'm, I'm both grateful and uh, bummed for you, you know? Well, I want it to be something that's useful for, for the artist to say, this is an interview I did. Mm-hmm. And please go check it out. And yeah. the fans that do listen to it get to hear uh, as good a quality product as we can make it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want these, I, I, my intention are for all of these to be as definitive as possible. I want them to be time capsule moments. I want people to think you want to know my story. My story is best told on the hustle podcast. That's the most complete version of my story. That is my goal with all of these. And I think we get there a lot actually. Anyway, I, uh, uh, there's one other thing I want to say about this question. I think about this a lot. Um, and may, I think, you know, maybe everybody who has, a hobby or a passion or our creative can relate to this, but ever since this is the best way I can, I can think of to describe it. I hope this makes sense. Ever since starting the podcast, it's as if there is a bright light in my periphery that never goes away. And that light is the light to the path of what I would rather be doing with my life, you know? And it's not, it's not straight in front of me. Because if it was, I would be following it. It's always in my periphery. It's always off to the side. And so the podcast feels like that light that is shining, that's saying, look over here. Here's what you really want to do. Here's the thing that you like more than anything. It's over here. But you can't stare at it because you've got a, you got to, you've got a job. You've got kids. You've got a wife. You've got bills. You know, you've got reality. You've got COVID to deal with. But always in your peripheral vision is a bright light shining on you, serving as an example of what you would rather be doing with your life. And that can be both encouraging and frustrating. Does that make sense to you, Yan? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally, you know, if if we could make money out of this, I would ditch IT. Yeah, same, same. And, and I think anyone, you know, if, you, uh, if you're really into fantasy football, you know, when you're at work and you check your fantasy football team, or you're really into gardening, or you're really into painting, or cooking, or politics, or whatever. I mean, whatever that, we all have these things that, you know, when we're trying to be productive, that our minds wander to, because they matter to us so much, and they're always there in the periphery. I mean, just imagine the podcast is basically that thing being there in the in the side of your view for the last five and a half years straight you know it's hard not for it not to be so yeah it's uh it's tough it's it's not easy to do my job well and give it my all and do the podcast well there's a lot of bleed in there but i do my very best to be productive and earn my paycheck let me see oh okay this is a great question for you from derek johnson does Yan have a dream guest that he'd like to interview? And if Yan takes over the hustle and lo- locks John in a closet for an episode, what does that look like? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in terms of dream guests, for one of one of them, we've probably already gotten as close as we're ever, ever going to get. 
and Which that's is? the the Commodores. Cause yeah. You talked to, you, you talk to Peter. Yeah, Peter Wolf. Yeah. Um, I have they're on my list too, and it, I was close. I emailed their people, and they what this is the this is the hard part. If you email their people. A lot of the time, more often than not, what happens is they forward that email on to the artists or maybe their manager or something like that. So you've got layers of gatekeepers you have to get through. I email their PR people. They forward that to the band's manager. The manager looks at it. If he thinks about it, he mentions it to the to the artists themselves or maybe forwards it to them. Those people are constantly busy doing promo or working in a studio or on tour or whatever, they're not going through and reading little pitch emails from me. What needs to happen is that the PR people say, yes, I can get you an interview with the Commodores. Let's set that up. But that's not how it works most of the time. There are so many guests that are like that. I've reached out to like live. I've been trying to get Ed Kowalczyk from live on here for a long time. And his people always, I send the email, they forward it on. No one ever hears back for months. Of course not. Those guys are busy. They're not going to they're not going to carve out time to set up an interview with me. You know, maybe they see it and they write back and say, sure, I'll do that. And then we move forward. But um, otherwise that's why these things don't happen. And that's what happened with the Commodores. Yeah. But yeah, one of the, one of the other ones we've already gotten, and that was uh, Ryson from Spacehawk. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite groups ever. Yeah. Uh, I think the other two for me that would be a dream dream guest would be any of the guys from the Thorns, particularly you know to discuss how much of an influence Crosby, Stills, and Nash were on were on them on some of that the, the songs on that album, and then any of the guys from Screaming Trees, particularly mm-hmm. one of the maybe even. Mark Lanigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those I know that those are ones and the skids. We need to oh, make yeah, a skids, skids episode Richard happen. Richard from the skids would be awesome. Somebody else requested the skids recently. I don't know if you saw that. I think somebody sent us an email saying, asking if we'd talked about the skids or anyway. Yeah. So Matthew Sweet, I've reached out to a couple of times and never heard back. But he is somebody, I've heard him on other podcasts, and he seems really approachable. I have a feeling he just hasn't seen them, because I think if he did, he would do it. So I just need to work harder at getting in front of him. But with 22 episodes in the can already, i um, that's the thing. I always think, oh, I'm going to take two months off. And after two weeks, I'm so itchy to do another interview. I just start, I go back at it. And then I do five interviews in a week. And there's another month's worth of interviews in the can again. I need to slow down. But anyway, that's my reasoning for that one. Mark Lanigan, I need to go after and the skids I need to go after. So I, I should make those happen for sure. I, I think this, you know, the skids is Stuart Adamson's early, early mm-hmm. stuff and they are fabulous and they mm-hmm. still, they still play. Yeah. And Richard Jobson was the, was the lead, the lead singer anyway. Yeah. So uh, he was, Oh, I want to say he was around sixteen or seventeen when he went when he joined the band. Wow! And wow. he's also from he's they're all he's also from around this area, and they, so there's some big good bands that came out yeah. of this town. I know. I need. Oh, isn't Nazareth from there too? They are. Yeah. And 
their stage manager was at school with my uncle, uh, also a neighbour of one of my friends. And yeah. I don't think my dad still, I don't think my dad probably has has seen Manny Charlton's sister since school, but he worked with Manny Charlton's brother mm. at, you know, during, you know, during summers when he was at university and stuff like that, he worked he worked with uh, Manny Charlton's brother. Brian. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Uh, let's see. Let's see who else is the from this time. The Rosillos. Oh yeah, they're on my list too. Yes, I need to get on it. We need to have like Yan's month, where I just line up all these people and we devote the month of whatever to all the people Yan wants on the show. Or we or we could do. You know, it would be a cool thing to do is mm. pick a town and pick a town somewhere and then Ooh. look at bands from that town. Yeah. That would be, we should open that up to the listeners. If anyone out there is from a town or near a town or whatever, make it personal to you. Don't just say, you know, where a lot of ban- good bands came from is Athens, Georgia. If you're from a town and there or near one where there were bands that we would know that came from, and you may even have connections, tell us. And we'll see if we can, you know, showcase a town or something like that. That'd be kind of cool. I like that idea. Okay, last question, uh, Jeffrey Ludbin. I hope I'm saying that right, Jeffrey. I see your name all the time, and I'm realizing, I'm realizing whenever I have to say people's names out loud, um, I don't know if that's if I'm doing it right. But Ludbin, hopefully, Jeff. Anyway, any more contact with Richard Lloyd? <laughs> Dude should be flattered. People are still interested. No, I haven't. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. I know. I know. So, nope, nope. Yeah. I mean, Richard and I did that interview almost two years ago. So would that have been, no, a year ago, almost a year ago. And it was around the same time, September, maybe October. And then a month or two later, I was going to interview Chris Stamey. And um, after I did, and I didn't think the Chris Stamey interview went well, which is another example of when I was completely wrong. All of you have been fine with it. And I'm a little nervous that I, that one I have, a I, I screwed that one up. I, I was so worried that it was another Richard Lloyd situation. And uh, I, like, I don't hear from their PR people as often as I used to. I'm worried that I burned a bridge worrying too much about that, the quality of that interview. And I lost some faith in people, in some PR people that time. I feel bad about it. Anyway, so I reached back out to Richard and said, hey, you know, I know you didn't, weren't comfortable with that first pass, but I'm going to talk to, I'm, we're going to, I'm talking to Chris Stamey. Do you want to talk one more time? And uh, he just wrote back, nope. I think that's what his email said. Nope. And, uh, or something like that. One word, two words. Nope. Not interested or something. And so I left him alone. And it's interesting. Um, uh, the records revisited people, Ben and Wayne have done a couple of interviews with people who know Richard. And, um, every time Richard comes up, everyone's kind of like, Oh, that Richard, he's an interesting guy, interesting personality, great guitar player, but, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's an interesting guy, you know? And uh, yes, we can vouch for the interesting guyness of Richard Lloyd. No, I haven't. And, I, and I've kind of moved past it. I was pretty bummed when it happened. I was kind of beating myself up that I didn't do a good enough job. But when you hear from other people that that's just kind of how he is, it's like, whatever, it's fine. 
it's fine. Some this comes up a lot. Do I want to interview somebody if I know for sure that I'm not going to have the kind of interview that I want to have? And a lot of the time, the answer is no. It's like I used to say about Eddie Money. I love Eddie Money. I know that if I interviewed Eddie Money, he would be so far off the rails that I wouldn't have any fun. Or John Lydon, Johnny Rotten. He's he's a caricature. He's not going to he's not going to be introspective. He's not going to tell you what you want to hear. So it's like I'm not, I don't even want, or Sean Ryder from uh, the Happy Mondays, one of my favorite bands ever. I know that if I talk to Sean Ryder, I'm going to be more frustrated than I am pleased. And I don't want to feel that. So it's fine with me just to let it go. Can you think of anything else, Ian? Did we cover it all? I think we got it all. I think we did. Well, before I get into this last bit, Ian, thanks again for doing this with me. Seriously, we've had an incredible year, haven't we? Oh, we have some, had some amazing guests and we've put out so much content. I know. And Are you sure you're okay with two episodes a week sometimes? Yep. Gosh. It's been it's been tough lately with all the handyman work that I've been yeah. doing, but you know, and a couple of couple of nights I've just zonked out. But, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm good. Good. Because unless something's time sensitive, I don't really care when you get to it or whatever. The time sensitive ones, obviously, we've committed to somebody. We're going to put it out by a certain time. But otherwise, it's like, I don't, you just do it whenever, but you're such a trooper. So more often than not, you're doing two episodes a week, and that's just amazing. So anyway, we're lucky to have you, Yeah, I'm so glad we do this together. Thanks for doing this with me. Oh, me too. I'm, I, I love doing this. I, I, I actually, I prefer doing the bit I'm doing. I would <laughs> rather be doing the bit I'm doing than the bit you're doing. And I would rather do my bit than yours. So yeah. it's perfect. Everything is yep. perfect. Good. Um, okay, so here's the deal. We're going to close it out with a song called Blood on His Hands. It is an anti-Trump song that was sent to us by friend of the show, I guess you could say at this point, Chris Thompson. Chris was on earlier this year, the blinded by the light, revved up like a douche guy. He came on. It was such a great interview. Chris is so cool. And um, he emailed me the other day and he said, John, I'm, I'm finalizing this an anti-Trump song called Blood on His Hands. Can I send it to you? Will you share it with your listeners? I said, absolutely. Happy to do that. So we're going to close it out here with this song, Blood on His Hands. It is so good and it is so powerful. And it says my thoughts and feelings perfectly. We are going to include in the show notes. So in the description of this show, there's a link to his website where you can go and you can download this song for free. Okay, so if anyone out there wants to get their hands on Chris Thompson's anti-Trump song, which is fantastic, go to the links that we've provided. Just just Google Chris Thompson and go to his website and it's on there for free. And I should mention too, Chris Butler of The Waitresses, if you follow us on Facebook, you know that Chris Butler of The Waitresses has done a couple of anti-Trump songs, sent them to me. I posted on Facebook that I had them. Chris Butler gave me permission to email anyone that wanted them the files of these songs. So I still have those. So if you don't follow us on Facebook and this is the first you're hearing about it and you dislike Trump and want some songs that speak your mind, let us know. You can either go to Chris Thompson's website, download it directly from there, or you can ask me or Yan. We have the files and I will email the file of the Chris Butler songs to you. Okay? Hopefully by November 3rd, there's some new, there's some big changes, positive changes being made in our country. 
I hope so. Anyway, we love you all. We're so thankful for all the support that you give us and that you put up with Ian and I and that you listen to our recaps. We do this because we love music and we love all of you and we are trying to do the thing that we think the fans would want most. And so thank you so much for your support over these five and a half years. It's been incredible. All right. It's It's been a great ride and it's con- going to continue to be a great ride. I'm yeah. looking forward to next year. Me too. Me too. And uh, like I said, I've got 20 something interviews in the can and uh, all of them, I stand by all of them. It's going to be so hard to come up with a top 10 list this year because I've got, I, I, I would rather pick 10 episodes I didn't like because I've liked everything. It is so difficult. It's been a good year. Anyway, thanks everybody. Check out Chris Thompson's song. We'll talk to you next time. Blood on his hands Blood on his hands Hey! Don't trust that man He's got blood on his hands You're making no sense What's up with your brain? A lie or the truth To you it's all the same Blah, blah, blah is complain why feel guilty when there's others to blame for the blood on your hands blood on your hands hey don't trust that man he's got blood on his hands money talks it really talks a lot in the name of the nation and the name of god point the finger Twist it around, but the whole damn thing's coming tumbling down. This time you've gone too far. People gonna see what you really are. An arrogant, real embarrassment. This ain't over. They'll bring you down in the end for the blood on your hands.
dance, you made one big mess. Soon you'll be moving out, changing your address so as a great big favor to the human race. Here's a one-way ticket to outer space for the blood on your hands. Trust that man He's got blood on his hands Blood on his hands No! Don't trust that man He's got blood on his hands Misleading, misleading, misguiding, mistreating, misadvising, misdirecting Behavior, mistake, big mistake. 